talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella talking baseball. The man and Bobby Fella, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. Here we are back on the pine. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Dirty Kurt's Dugout. Woo! Well, it's winding down. The 2018 baseball season is winding down. The division leaders have taken their place in the sun for the league championship series. And we're going to be ready to go for the 2018 World Series within a matter of the next week and a half or so. It's going to be a fun ride. It's been a fun ride so far. I tell you what I got for you. And it's always new in Dirty Kurt's dugout. In case you don't, you're listening, you don't know who Dirty Kurt is. This is Kurt Babakwa. And we're all over social media, so you need to go there, take a peek. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, of course, YouTube. And you can support us by going to patreon.com slash Kurt Babakwa. But let me tell you what I got. I know it's going to be a long and grueling winter for a lot of you. And what do we do when winter comes and you're a baseball fan? You wait for spring. And while you're waiting, you go to the movies, you read books. So I tell you what I'm going to do, even though you're not going to be able to go, to this particular movie, at least this winter, you're certainly going to go to it sooner than later. And the movie that I'm talking about is Shoeless Joe, the movie. I know everyone listening, when you refer to Shoeless Joe, it's not some guy you see walking in the neighborhood. Shoeless Joe is Shoeless Joe Jackson. Coming on the phone with us is the producer of Shoeless Joe, the movie, Renee James, who has been working on this movie for 10 years or at least thinking about it. If you don't think she's got all her ducks in a row, you've got another thing coming. Because with names like Billy Bob Thornton as the executive producer, Angelo Pizzo, and David Onspot as writer and director. You remember those guys? In case you don't, you remember Rudy and Hoosiers. Well, these guys did those two flicks, and they were super. And I don't think it's going to be any different with Shoeless Joe. As a matter of fact, I can't wait for this movie to come out because of everything surrounding Shoeless Joe Jackson, the 1919 White Sox scandal. We all know about that. And Jay Jaffe, who's been on this show before and has written the Cooperstown casebook, who should be in and who should pack their bags? Or in other words, who should be in Cooperstown and who's been elected to the Hall of Fame? In Cooperstown, the number one player on his list 
that should be in the Hall of Fame, the number one player out of all of the guys that everybody talks about is Shoeless Joe Jackson. This guy knows Shoeless Joe Jackson. He might not know him as well as Renee James does. Renee, welcome to the show, and thank you for agreeing to come on. Hi, Kurt. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. So you must tell our listeners the story behind you getting involved with this production, this movie, being the producer, going out and doing all the things that you've laid out so far and still have a light on your plate, actually, don't you? Absolutely, but it's it's a good thing. I'm I'm very happy to be working on this project. And as you said, I've been working on it for the past 10 years and uh, hasn't always been easy, but it's a very worthy cause, I think. You know, I, I firmly believe that Joe got a raw deal, and I think that his story needs to be told, and uh, I hope we do it justice. So when you start telling this story, and I know – uh, the writing and directing portion of it, you've laid in the hands of Angelo and David. But Correct. when this story starts to get written, how much into the nitty-gritty of everything that went on 100 years ago? I mean, it's been 100 years. That's right. Are we going to get to see? Well, you know, um we're going to tell the whole story uh, of Joe Jackson because I think it's very important to know um, where he came from and how he grew up because it was a very important part of, um, you know, what happened to him in life and, you know, as involved in the scandal as well. Um, we're going to, of course, include the scandal, but uh, we're also going to start with, uh, you know, telling um, a, a bit about the man, uh, you know, how he grew up. He was, you know, a six-year-old boy who didn't get to go to school because he had to work in a cotton mill to help provide financially for his family. Uh, he had, you know, siblings that were able to go to school, but he had to work alongside his father in the mill. And, uh, you know, these were long days. There were no child labor laws back then. So, you know, it's reported that he may have worked, you know, 10 to 16 hours a day as a, as a six-year-old boy. And, uh, you know, that's that's a hard life for anyone. But, uh, you know, you can imagine what he went through in life. And then being uh, illiterate, unable to read or write, certainly had an effect on, on uh, you know, how the scandal played out. You know, he was definitely, I think, taken advantage of because, you know, he was promised so many things. He was promised immunity um, back when he was, you know, asked to tell what he knew about the scandal and uh you know he thought he was gonna tell what he knew about the uh, the gamblers involved and that he was going to walk out of there and no charges were going to be brought against him or the other ball players for that matter and uh you know he he signed things he didn't know he was signing you know even when it came to his um his contract for the following year after the scandal he was uh you know just pretty much told what was on the contract by um harry grabner and there were, he didn't know that there was a 10-day clause in there so that they were able to you know cancel and and fire him without any pay so he was he was really misled a lot and uh i, I think that it's just a travesty that these things haven't been brought to light more 
and that people don't know his, his whole story. Well, you mentioned the name uh, Harry Grabner. Now, Harry Grabner was the travel, club secretary, traveling secretary for the Chicago White Sox. And correct me if I'm stating anything that's inaccurate. Um, it's been rumored that Shoeless Joe Jackson went in and threw $5,000 in, ha- in cash on Harry Grabner's desk the morning after the last game of the 1919 World Series and said, this money was given to me, and I didn't have any part of it. This is true. He walked into, um, actually, Austrian's office, the um, the lawyer for Comiskey uh, in, in the uh, White Sox clubhouse, and he presented the money, and he did tell Comiskey and Austrian that, uh, you know, he was given this money and that there was a fix on and he was basically told, you know, hold on to the money. We'll look into it. And he did that. You know, he he listened to them. You know, they were his bosses. They they knew better than he. And uh, he held on to the money. And he actually he had put that in a bank account in his bank account and was waiting on instructions on what to do. And those instructions never came. And the money sat there for months and months. And uh you know, he he knew that nothing was going to come of it. You know, he had kind of heard through the grapevine that, that it was going to be, you know, over and done with. And so he finally did use the money. Um, it was for his sister, Gertrude. Um, she was she had to have surgery. So he did, um, you know, give in and, and he spent the money on her surgery. Well, considering what the contracts were back then, I can't say as I blame him. But in, well, in know, 1924, yeah, we, we all have to kind of put ourselves in that position. What what would we do? You know, sure. if and and you know, Lefty Williams had had given him the money, and Joe was very angry when he uh, when Lefty told him about the fix and that his name had been used, and uh, he said, Lefty told him, you know, here's the money, you can take it, you can leave it, you can play to win or not. But the fix is on, and you might as well take the money, and if you know what's good for you, you keep your mouth shut. And this was a man he trusted. This was a man he considered his friend. So he really, you know, he... And Lefty Williams was the starting pitcher in the final game of the 1919 World Series. And I think he left after giving up multiple hits and never even recorded an out. Right. Renee James on the bench with me. Hi, everybody. This is Kurt Babakwa, and you're listening to Dirty Kurt's Dugout. Renee James, the producer of the movie that you will see within a matter of time. I don't know how long it's going to take her to put it together, but I almost guarantee that this movie is going to be put together sooner than later. I can't wait, and I'll tell you why. I, I've been fixated on Shoeless Joe Jackson for a long time. Not only myself, but I, I've had other teammates uh, throughout my years in the game that also have found the situation in Shoeless Joe Jackson so intriguing that we used to talk about him constantly. And one of the players uh, that I'm speaking of is one that's well-known, not only through the baseball world, but here in San Diego, and that's Tony Gwynn. Now, Shoeless Joe Jackson is number three on the all-time list for batting average. Tony Gwynn is not very far behind him in the 18th position. 
But I will say that in the modern era of baseball, Tony Gwynn is the only guy amongst the top 20 who played in the 1950s and, and on. Now, that certainly doesn't take anything away from anybody else. The, the thing that I was most intrigued by with Sheila Joe Jackson was the size of the bat that he used to use. We, we always heard about how big Babe Ruth's bats were and Ralph Kiner's bats. Shoeless Joe Jackson had a 39-and-a-half-ounce bat. And if you don't know how heavy that is, and also 36 inches, go out and measure something that's 36 inches long and try to find something uh, that's a couple of pounds, three pounds heavy, and just pick it up and try to imagine and you, you really can't do it. I mean, it's amazing. I pick up bats now that I used in the games. Uh, and I, I tell my sons, I don't know how I use this because it feels so heavy. These guys were so strong. And naturally, the pitching has become different in this day and age in baseball. But for them to use the size bats that they did, these guys had to go through the hard labor that, Renee, you talked about earlier in the broadcast that uh, – that uh, Shoeless Joe went through when he was a kid growing up in the cotton fields to uh, make money for his family. I mean, it's just, uh, it's fascinating to me. I I agree. Uh, You know, the whole story is fascinating. And, you know, I I know that you are um, intrigued with uh, the the mobsters, the gamblers of the day, as well as I am. And, uh, you know, there's just a a lot more to that story, too. You know, Comiskey had uh, a lot of friends that were gamblers and, you know, uh, a lot of people believe that he knew even before the game started that the fix was on. And, uh, you know, he had this big multi-thousand dollar or thousand acre um, property up in Wisconsin that, uh, you know, all the reporters used to come and hang out at and all the gamblers as well. So, you know, it's a very intriguing story in, in so many ways. It's a multifaceted story that, uh, you know, at, at every turn, I think there's something that will will interest anybody that comes, not just, um, you know, baseball fans, not just Shoeless Joe fans, but it's, it's a great all-around intriguing story. So I've already thrown out a few of the great names that, uh, that you have on your docket already. Um, are there any others that haven't been publicized yet that can? Or how, where are you in the process as far you know, as putting this together and people having positions in the movie to play certain people? Well, we, we have our Shoeless Joe in mind. Uh, first of all, we're, we're you know, still early on. It's been a, a long road, mm-hmm. but uh, we're, we're in pre-development right now. We're about to embark on an Indiegogo campaign to raise funds for development money. And then uh, we have some, some very interested investors waiting in the wings um, when we get to that stage. But um, uh, we hope to be very aggressive with our production, and, and we want it in the theaters, of course, in time for the uh, 100-year anniversary, uh, you know, late next fall. Um, but we do have our, our Shoeless Joe in mind. Um, he's a, a Southern guy, uh, and most importantly to me, he's a great ball player. Um, he's a, an actor that people will uh, recognize. We can't tell you right now, but uh, it, it'll be coming up soon. All right. 
That's uh, that's a great ball player and an actor. Hmm. Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I I don't know how well it's known that he's a good ball player, but uh, but Billy knows him well, and and uh, he's he's a good friend, and Billy is also a Billy Bob Thornton is also a, a big baseball fan himself, and uh, for him to say that this actor is a great ball player, we can take him at his word. I I take him at his word. I I know Billy's a great St. Louis. I know he's a St. Louis Cardinal fan. I didn't realize he he was. I I would think that is Billy Bob Thornton going to play a part in the movie? You know, I'm sure he'll take a part. I'm sure he will. Okay. But right now is the executive producer. uh, Right. When we first started 10 years ago, he was thinking maybe he might take a stab at Joe. But, you know, we've, we've, uh, (laughs) we've had a long road, so... Um, yeah, he'll, he'll, I'm sure he'll, he'll, uh, he'll play one of the parts, but as of yet, we don't know. So both Billy and you have been in this deal for 10 years. Yeah. Or at so least thinking about to it. Him, right. I pitched this to him 10 years ago. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And, but he was in on it from, from, you know, day one, he was behind it, behind the, uh, the story. And, um, like I said, a big proponent for Joe Jackson. And, uh, you know, if you, if you get a chance, you know, I hope your, your listeners will check us out on our Facebook page, Shoeless Joe Productions, or um, our, at our website, uh, shoelessjoeproductions.com. There's a, a very interesting clip on there um, with Billy Bob talking about Joe and his plight and, and his story and that it needs to be told. Well, we've already uh, started putting it out on our Facebook page, I know, and we're going to do it with Twitter and, uh, and Instagram also. So this, this Indigo, this Indigo uh, fundraising campaign that you're talking about. Um, Indiegogo. Yeah. Tell, tell us more a little bit about that because the people are also going to see that. And is it just as simple as going to that to look into uh, any investment or anything that they want to do as far as putting money into it. That's right. Uh, in a couple of weeks, probably in about uh, two and a half, three weeks, we'll be launching that campaign on Indiegogo. And um, they will be able to go to our Facebook page or our website to get that link. Or, in, uh, you know, when the time comes around, we'll update everyone on when exactly the campaign will start. But they can keep an eye out on the the web page or the Facebook page to find out exactly when. But at that time, they can go through the link or they can go to Indiegogo.com and look up our campaign for Shoeless Joe. The the movie title will be Shoeless Joe, The True Story. And uh, that I don't know if you are familiar with the the fundraising uh, campaigns, but uh, uh, basically people will make a contribution, uh, different amounts, various amounts, whatever they uh, would like to give. And they will get really great thank you gifts. Um, we've got some great merchandise with our very creative that I love, um, our new movie logo. And uh, also, you know, built tons of things from T-shirts to sweatshirts. And we're also um, offering up some uh, great experiences, you know, a part to, um, you know, walk and roll in the movie, uh, walk and roll with the line, uh, lunch with Billy Bob, things like this will be offered up as well as thank you gifts. So I don't know. This is one statistic that I don't know, and maybe you do, but we can both approximate it. 
How many people were at the last game of the World Series in 1919? Wow, you know what? That's a great question that no one has ever asked me, and I, I am sorry to say I, I don't have an answer well, for you. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to say it. that I don't know the answer either. That's really a, <laughs> something you know, that the, irritates what, me. What's really interesting is, you know, you picture the, the ball field back in, in that time, and, you know, you think you, you think bleachers and, and – you know, things that are similar to the way they are today. But, you know, people really stood on the field. They, there was no barrier between the players and, and the spectators. So it was, uh, you know, definitely a different time. I'm trying to uh, do what everybody else does in radio nowadays and any other uh, simulcast or podcast that they're involved with or is, is look online real quick. So I'm uh, I'm trying to find out the attendance. And the reason I said that is because that would be a great Indigo Go-Go. I love that name. Indigo Go-Go. <laughs> uh, that would, yeah, be, a, that would be a great contribution. That you, and you could fill up all your extra spots for everybody in the ballpark with Absolutely. anybody We're that gave money to get the movie going. Absolutely. Absolutely. And every little bit helps, so... Well, I want you to promise, Renee, that uh, that you'll come on again as this project um, grows and and becomes a reality, even more so than it is today. Um, I'm sorry that uh, Billy couldn't join us, but uh, it was great having you on. And uh, I would love to hear about how everything's going in uh, six months from now or up down the road. Well, thank you, Kurt. Yes, I'd love to come back anytime. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have Billy uh, with us the next time. I'm going to figure out who this actor is you're talking about. That's also, <laughs> that's, that's well, also I, I, a, great, a great baseball player. Did he well, have anything the, to do with the Field of Dreams? No. Oh, okay. No. I was thinking he, of some. He, he, he would have been too young at that point in time. Okay. Okay. Yep. Um, I'll give true. you a hint and say that he and Billy have worked together before. Okay. We're, we're not going to, you know, I'm not trying to get his <laughs> name out of you. Trust me. I don't, I think, uh, I think some things are better kept unsaid and yes. uh, this, yeah. this is one of them. So uh, we'll certainly follow up with this. Renee James. Thank you so Wonderful. very much. Shoeless Joe, the movie, keep an eye out for it folks, because it's going to be a good one. I'm telling you, this is not over with as far as Shoeless Joe Jackson being in the Baseball's Hall of Fame. Rob Manfred has to look at all the evidence in this particular case and really pick things apart and put together what I would think is some type of a team to decide what to do as far as Shoeless Joe Jackson's concerned. Is he the only guy out of the eight that possibly deserves consideration in the Hall of Fame? I think so. I think he's the one guy out of all the players on that team that, if not for this scandal, would have been elected into Baseball's Hall of Fame. Even with only 1,700 hits. But because of the fact that he was basically looked down upon after that, he lost his job in the game. In 1924, as you heard Renee and I talk about, the lawsuit that took place in Milwaukee was against Charles Comiskey. And Shoeless Joe Jackson won 
that case. Because the judge ruled that they shouldn't have gotten rid of him and awarded him two years' salary of approximately $18,000 a year. Yeah, that's how much he was making. A guy that's got a career 360 batting average, I think it is. I mean, this guy was crazy good. He was a crazy good hitter. Not just home runs, but all kinds of hits. Could run. And the thing that is really interesting about Shoeless Joe Jackson was, and the reason Tony Gwynn was so interested in him, is that he was one of the first guys who was really irritated when he struck out. And he t- tried to cut down on his strikeouts. And if you look in his, in his statistics, you are going to see very few strikeouts next to any year that J- uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson played in the major leagues. Speaking of playing in the major leagues, I've got a guest that's coming on with us that it just so happens that his heydays in the big leagues were with the Milwaukee Brewers. And it just so happens that him and I, at one time, were teammates on the Milwaukee Brewers. And you know what? This guy still holds offensive records for the Milwaukee Brewers. I didn't realize how good he was at that time. I really didn't. We used to do each other's hair. Eh, We'll get into that later on. Gorman, welcome. Thanks for coming on, buddy. What is happening, my brother? So so tell me how time goes by. The reason that uh, we didn't want to put you on a landline tonight and you're on a cell line is because you are babysitting who? Uh, One of my grandchildren. She's uh, 16 months old. And let me tell you something. She already throws a great fastball over the top. None of this underhanded crap. She goes right over the top. I'm telling you right now, like an iron mic. So tell me something. Are your brewers going to uh, to make any splashes more so than they've made already this fall? You know what? Uh, when the season started, you know, it just didn't really know what to expect, as you well know. I mean, hell, you were in the game just as long as I. And, you know, the ones that are touted to be, you know, a shoe-in, uh, you always have the underdogs pop up, and there they are. I mean, look at the way uh, – I'm just going to use one example. It's going to be Houston. I mean, for a long time, you know, they they had trouble to do anything right, and boom, boom, look what they are now. I mean, I mean, they're a juggernaut. But, you know, as far as the Brewers go, I have never seen so many, uh, what would you call it, uh, uh, actions where they would shift somebody out and bring somebody in. They'd pitch three innings, and they'd be gone the next day. Then another guy would come in. You know, all of a sudden, now you've got four third basements, three, third, three or four uh, second basements. And uh, all of a sudden, it gelled. I mean, they had a good team pretty much all, you know, the very – you know, first start of the season. But as the season progressed, you know, instead of giving a game away, you know, like bonehead play or throwing the ball to the wrong play, uh, wrong base or whatever, or not getting a runner in or getting a runner moved over, uh, all of a sudden it just got into a flow. And I'm telling you right now, when you get to the end of the bullpen, 
right now, you know, those days where you had that one dude, like y'all had out there in Diego, you know, he had uh, Hoffman, he was awesome. And then in our day, I mean, you know, we had fingers, and I never, well, I did hit against him a couple, time, a couple of times. Actually, I wore his ass out, but he's going to deny that. <laughs> but, you know, there was only Goose Gossage. I mean, John Hiller, I mean, he was fantastic. His best pitch was a changeup. But you don't have that one guy basically anymore. You know, you have uh, what they're doing right now. The other day they pulled a starter. He'd given up, I think, two hits and four and two-thirds. Pulled him, brought in our ex-one-time closer, Fable. And, I mean, he throws it up there, you know, 98, 99, 101. And he came in and got one out. The next inning, they had somebody else. So, yeah, it's it's almost like uh, everybody's going to get an inning, uh, and we're going to get it down to the end. And then we got Hayter and Jeffries, and both of them are lights out. Well, it's lights out for sure when Hayter's in there. He's just absolutely nasty. I don't know. Huh. I, I, I really don't naturally of talking to Gorman Thomas uh, – the great uh, home run hitter for the Milwaukee Brewers back in the uh, 70s and 80s. And uh, Gorman still sitting on top of some of the offensive records for the Milwaukee Ball Club, uh, in particular home runs and RBIs, which um, is pretty amazing considering some of the ballplayers that have gone through there. Uh, now, I think you might drop down an, a titch in that thing if uh, if Yelich stays around for a few more years, but... Uh, Oh man, that that this guy. Kid, this that, kid can play. That guy put this together can play all the way around. Quite a year, didn't he? Now, if well, you got to give out, when, if you got to give out an MVP award right now, I think you're going to lean towards Yelich. Um, to be fair, is there anybody that's even close on on our team or in the no, league? In the league. In the league, I you know as far as I go, I mean we all have our favorites, uh, you know. For for the last ten years, I mean, I think one of the best hitters in baseball was always Ryan Braun, and this year he's having an off year for him. You know, everybody has one once in a while, but he's never had one before, and he's still hitting sixty, you know, two sixty, you know, twenty, and you know, almost a hundred RBIs in a short period of time. But this kid they got now, Yelich, I met him in uh, that uh, what do you call it, the uh, uh, Brewers on deck. It happens in January where. You know, the new guys are, you know, kind of paraded out in front of the fans. You know, they only have 10,000, 15,000 people come to this thing. You know, forget about that small market thing. I mean, the fans here in Milwaukee and Wisconsin, they love their game. They love their baseball. And, the, you know, obviously they love the Packers. But I walked up to Yelich uh, when I was there, and I said, you know, welcome to the uh, welcome to the team and welcome to the city and welcome to the state because all you got to do is play hard. And they're going to love you. And he said, thank you. I said, no, I really mean that because I I know what you did down there in Miami. You kind of played in the shadows of, you know, Stanton down there. You know, he's hitting 175 home runs and, you know, making $30 million a year. But this dude here, he can play. He can play. He's got them long legs. And once uh, – he, he kind of reminds me of the way he runs, the way Robin Yacht went first to third on anything had that long loping stride, mm-hmm. hit the ball either way. He has a little bit more pop than Robin did. But, uh, you know, when you're thinking about comparing someone to somebody else, and this dude that I'm talking about, he's already in the Hall of Fame, 
and he was an MVP twice. You know, if you're being compared to somebody like that, that's a that's a that's a great uh, that's a great great honor to be even mentioned in the same sentence. But he can play. He's the real deal. You know, he's he's very selective at the plate. And uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I wasn't going to say looking for big things. We've already seen big things from this kid. I'm telling you right now. Hopefully, he's going to be around here for a long time. So it's the Brewers and Astros in the World Series. Who wins? Well, uh, well, well I pretty well. Uh, I'm pretty well sure that we're going to get by the Dodgers. You know, but here's where I found out yesterday. I didn't. I wasn't aware of this. Instead of a best of five, it's a best of seven series, right? In the league championship series? Yeah. Yeah, of course it's seven. Well, Where the I heck have you been? Uh, actually, I ever since they announced that Pluto is now uh, a planet again, you've been babysitting too long. Myself. <laughs> I went up there to see for myself. It really was significant. No kidding. But no, I would. Last week we went to the first two games here, obviously. And one of my grandsons, he just turned eight, and he just had the time of his life. And then the next day, I took my wife, you know, and she enjoyed it thoroughly. Now, come Friday, I'm bringing my other uh, grandson to the ballpark with me. So it's, you know, it's really cool to go, you know, with your with your grandsons and explaining things to them. And, you know, the little one the other day, he says, how do you know that? I said, because I studied the game. I wish I would have studied the game when I was a player. I just naturally took took an approach that, uh, yeah, I can handle this. You know, I wasn't selective, and I, you know, made some bad choices about, you know, times at bat and things like that. But after a while, I learned because I listened to people. I listened to people who had the experience and the time to give to me, and it made me a better ball player. <laughs> Gorman, just, just before we close, before I close this show, I'm going to tell you something that Gorman Thomas used to be able to do that amazes me to this day because I think about you all the time after I play golf and I go back and I try to remember all the different things that went on during, during the round. Gorman could literally not put a number in his scorecard. And then for all four players, I'm not talking about just himself. He could go after we go inside to sit down and have a beer or start talking or to settle up, and he could write down all the scores that everybody had. It was amazing. So I will admit, you've got the best memory I've ever seen. (laughs) I used to. I don't have it anymore. I got that thing going on. (laughs) Well, go back to Savannah. Tell your lovely wife I said hello. I appreciate you coming on. We We will follow up and do it again. And we'll talk soon, Gore. Thank you. Oh, that'd be great, Codfish. You have a good one, and thanks for calling. And good luck to the brew crew. Talk to you thanks, soon. Thanks, buddy. See ya. Okay. Thank you, Gorman. Woo! You know, it's good to reminisce sometimes with your old buddies. Gorman and I used to run it. We used to run around together a lot when we were both with the Brewers. And that was uh, that was a few years back. Hey, don't forget, if you enjoyed Dirty Kurt's Dugout and want to support the show, just visit us, patreon.com slash Aqua. It's the simplest and most direct way to help us produce more and better podcast episodes. I told you the next couple of podcasts that we're going to be doing are going to be about things that you can do in the winter. So with Shoeless Joe the Movie podcast that's just been finished, 
look for one about a book coming up about a book called The Chicken Runs at Midnight. That's all I'm going to say to you. And yeah, it's a baseball book. Thank you, everybody. I appreciate you sitting with me. I appreciate you giving me your time. Continue to do it, and we will continue to bring you great content and funny stuff on Dirty Kurtz Dugout. Until next time, good night, everybody. Well, Casey was winning. Hank Aaron was beginning. One Robbie going out.